war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Isn't that something? Now, casting down imaginations simply means overthrowing reasoning. That's what it means. And everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Praise God. And you may be seated. So let's talk about spiritual warfare. The time you turn on the radio, you hear something about physical warfare. I... <clears throat> And one, to believe that uh, one of the primary objectives of any nation should be the defense of the nation. I personally think that this is also true of the household of faith. I think it would definitely be true of the individual family unit. Uh, a person who does not try to protect their children is not a wise parent. If you will notice uh, birds, animals, uh, when the little ones come along, the adults, more specifically, which usually the mom, will give her life for her babies. I mean, really give her life for her babies. Now, they have a very cunning way of leading you away from, from babies. When I was a child, we had quite a few uh, morning doves nesting in pine trees in our yard. And when they get those little babies, you walk out in the yard, and this mother, you know, was always on some low branch. And, of course, I knew how to climb every tree in the yard, you know, and I had done it several times. And, but but the, the mother would just almost fall on the ground. You think, oh, there's a bird I need to catch. You know, it's just, it's helpless. And you go over there and she'd just flop around a little bit just beyond your reach. Reach out. Then after she led you you know, 50 yards or so away from the nest, all of a sudden she takes the wing and she's gone. You say, my, she sure got over that sickness in a hurry. That's her way of doing it. And she's going to do everything that she possibly can. Everything that she possibly can. I've observed just a good number of animals doing this. You can go by in the field, you can go by a rabbit's nest. They, they dig the nest down somewhat in the ground, kind of a little den. And if she's got babies in there, she'll run out there and act sick. And you think, oh, I could catch this rabbit. Just try. And she's just right out of your reach. Just nature put it in her that she should protect her children. Nature put it in her. 
My wife's horse a couple of months ago had a little foal. And as much as we have ridden that foal, uh, not foal, but that horse, we take that horse up to camp and around. We put grandchildren on that horse. That horse seems to have so much confidence in us. But when the little one came along, it was a little different story. If you walk in the stall where she is, and she doesn't lay her ears back and try to bite you or anything. Now, some marriage will do this. But she's always walking between you and the foal. And if the foal gets on the other side, she'll cut in between you. Now, don't, don't mess with my baby. <laughs> Our present day vernacular. <clears throat> Leave my baby alone. Don't want you don't want you fooling with him. We had the vet out to check the little one, which uh, it was suggested that we do that. And so my wife and I had to get in and hold this little one. Now this mother did not like that. I mean, she didn't like that. And the first time we turned her out in the pasture, even though she was alone, other horses on the other side, she would go between that baby and those other horses. Don't want you getting around, my baby. We took the little one, and when we recently took our vacation, we went up to Shano, we took the little one and the mom, and we turned her inside the riding arena and a few other horses in there. And I'm telling you, she worked herself to death to keep herself positioned between that baby and those other horses. Don't mess with my little one now. Don't bother my little one. Because, you know, <clears throat> in your home, you have to carefully guard your home. This may sound like a baby dedication here this morning. Huh? <clears throat> but you have to carefully guard your home because there are all kinds of ideas and philosophies that come by. And a wise parent will watch who the child fellowships with. Brother Grisham did some talking about this in the, in the men's retreat. He made this statement. He said, if you let your child go over to someone else's house that has a different set of values and they do that once a month for three months, your child's values will change just in three visits. That everything that other family is doing that's against what you believe in, your child will begin to question the value system of your own home. So, <clears throat> we have to be very careful. I think the Bible talks to us about fellowship and about how careful we can be. The Bible talks with us about fellowshipping fornicators. Does it not? there's a spirit involved and this thing gets a hold of people see it, it really does get a hold of people so <clears throat> defense is extremely important a lot of debates are going on in the United States of America today about defense I know that you can be too heavy on defense I also know that you can be too light on defense. It is a known fact that when the United States of America is strong in defense, that other nations respect 
and respond to that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, physical weapons. And then we're going to change this around. I'm not trying to, 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 to prove anything politically. Uh, recently, I think it was, la was it last week or week before last, that Congress voted to scrap the Star Wars defense system. How many of you know what Star Wars is all about? All right. I don't know if you know how to explain it or not, and I'm not for sure that I do, but I'll use the limited knowledge I have, and if I, if I have some of the details wrong, well, then you can come up and correct me later. I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert on this. A lot of this I cannot keep up with. A lot of it I'm not interested in. I was interested in the Star Wars defense system. Uh, the, just the name itself is kind of a catchy thing, you know. Well, it was in the late 80s in which... Uh, I, maybe, maybe it was President Reagan that first started this, but I remember in the late 80s under the Bush administration which they were testing this, and I listened on the radio to a test. And what they had done, the Star Wars, see, the, 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 the fear has been that, that a nation like the Soviet Union or any other nation could send up a satellite that has a nuclear bomb in it, or warhead, and it can circle the planet Earth in orbit for as long as they so desire, and then they can bring it out of orbit and drop it on a nation. That's been the big fear. So the Star Wars defense is a defense designed to destroy warheads that are in space. And I, I kept up with the, the uh, trial run of this one and what they were doing. Uh, we sent up a dummy warhead. I mean, one that was not explosive, one that was not loaded, but had all the characteristics, as far as radar is concerned, of a warhead. And this thing is circling the planet Earth, 200 miles in space. And we allowed it to circle for several weeks before we sent up the Star Wars defense weapon. And when we sent it up, we sent it up, but it orbited the Earth in the opposite direction. And so it is going in the opposite direction. Now, what our intent was to do was to test this system so that the two would collide in space and the Star Wars defense bomb would explode. So an explosion would take place in outer space so that it would not be disastrous to the human race. And I remember listening to this on radio and they had predicted the exact time in which the Star Wars head was to destroy the dummy bomb. Did any of you listen to that on radio? Or did you listen to it? It, it was And the only way we would know is that 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 it had done its job is that there was a beep coming from the dummy warhead. 
And if it was destroyed, the beat would stop. Now what they, they did, they, they took the Star Wars and they loaded it with a camera, with a heat sensor or a heat detector device, and with radar. The radar was to pick up this dummy warhead several hundred miles you got to keep in mind, now, this thing's traveling 18,000 miles an hour. Both of them are. So you're having an effect of about 36,000 miles of an, an hour. And that's way beyond my comprehension. But this is the, here they're coming toward each other. The radar first picks it up. And then after that, the heat sensors picks it up. And if any correction needs to be made, then the thing will correct itself. And uh, then after that, uh, there's a camera to make final, last-second corrections. And so they had this countdown, and then all of a sudden, on the radio, you could hear the beep of this dummy warhead. Beep, 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 beep. And they started counting down. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one, destroy. And there was no more beat. Now, if they had been off target as much as six inches, it would not have destroyed it. And that's, that's getting to be very exact. I, <clears throat> it takes people a lot smarter than myself to figure all that out. Probably if I lived back in the Columbus day, I'd probably be arguing that the world was flat. <clears throat> but but uh, uh, it was a very serious thing because they were afraid that someone like Saddam uh, would indeed be able in time to put something up there that might just fall at random on only the Lord knows who. And their people... And quite frankly, they're leaders in the world that it wouldn't make any difference to them as long as they gain some prestige and some power. I think you could probably detect that during the desert storm. Now, Congress this past week, uh, a week, week before last now, I'm, I didn't hardly live this week. I had board meetings all week and a camp board meeting and men's retreat and... Uh, week before last they voted to scrap it we don't need it anymore because there's no threat to to America that's what they're saying when we were in in Germany about 10 years ago now maybe 11 years ago and when you get over when, when we got over there we got the scare of our life because we were informed at the airport that we must stay within 20 minutes of a major airport because at this time, uh, there was the big conflict in Poland. When that's when the, uh, the communists were seeking to take control. So <clears throat> we, we were warned, stay within 20 minutes of a major airport. Every motel or hotel we went into, there's a big sign. Yeah, we will not be responsible for any foreigners or tourists. 
and we recommend that you stay within 20 minutes of a major airport. And they gave the name of the uh, director in Germany who was giving this this uh, mandate. I talked with some of our soldiers there, and one one soldier who was in charge of heavy artillery, he told me, he said, we have a laser weapon in which we can, we take car bodies from, that we buy from, you know, wrecking yards, and we put these up on the mountains, and we can literally rip a car in two at a half a mile. You know, just, I mean, just, just rip it in two, just cut it to shreds with laser weapons. And, of course, uh, I think that when you looked at Desert Storm, you saw uh, the effect of the Patriot missiles that were able to intercept the Scud missiles, in which they used laser, pretty much used what the Star Wars uh, defense system was using. Use past tense now. I don't know if they totally destroyed this system, but but. Uh, it's amazing to me that, that, you know, coming through the air at thousands of miles an hour can be uh, a bomb. And, and all of a sudden, you send up one and just intercept it in the air, in the air, and it just explodes, blows up. And then no doubt you saw the effect of the smart bombs. That's <laughs> that. To me, I, I just I never saw anything like it in my life. Someone gave me a video of of the uh, uh, particulars of Desert Storm, and and these smart bombs. You know, they just drop them from the bottom of the planes, but they don't just drop down like the old bombs used to. They call they're called smart bombs because they have a camera on each one, and the camera locates the target and adjusts the fins on the back. And the camera is fed information from a satellite. So the satellite picks up the target, feeds it to the smart bomb, and the smart bomb, the fins adjust. And this is the reason why that, and maybe some of you saw this, some of these smart bombs going inside of doorways. One literally went down a stack, smoke stack, of a gigantic factory just because that's where they had it zeroed in. Now a lot of that will put a lot of fear in you because when, when you think about the, the tribulation period and you think about the end time one of the signs of the last days, there should be wars and rumors of wars. I, I personally think, you know, I, I said this is not going to be political, but I personally think any nation that knows anything about the Bible should be very careful to trust other nations. Now, we do not have an offense in the military as far as an offense department. We call it the defense department. And we call it that because, well, traditionally, we, we, we go in and defend nations, but even when we win wars for them, we don't take their land from them.
We've never done that. We've stayed in some countries to help defend. You sign an armistice with the enemy, and sometimes you have to keep 50,000 men at the border to make sure the other country lives up to the armistice. But basically, we call it a defense. I think if you, uh, if you look in the Scripture that there's a lot of emphasis placed upon defense. But please understand that our weapons are not altogether just defensive weapons. They're, they're not. That there are times in which it is proper to launch, spiritually speaking, as well as physically speaking, an offensive against the enemy. Now, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 6, I, I think you're going you're gonna to see some of this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth. Now, what Paul's doing, he's taking, taking what we would call the medieval type uh, armor, and, and this is what he's saying that, that the Christian should should be well protected. I mean, well protected. I don't know where I got this idea, but maybe I got it just from preachers like myself. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had this idea, you know, you better watch out, the devil's going to get you. See, when I grew up, I heard a lot of that. I'm for sure there were there were times in which he did, <clears throat> but you know I had this fear. I and and I I saw myself totally unprotected, and I suppose that well, that was a case because I had not given my heart to the Lord. But if you will notice what's taking place here, he's saying that that if if you are a well equipped equipped Christian. That, that the devil just can't come in and hold you captive at his own will. Now in Ephesians 5, he speaks about the children of disobedience. In Ephesians 5, verse 6. And Peter in his epistle talks about the children of disobedience. And this is what he says, who are held captive at their own will. Now... <clears throat> What the Bible is really saying is that, that you know, if, if you're a lukewarm Christian and if you're not in obedience to Christ, that's equivalent to just pulling your armor off and leaving yourself defenseless. Just stand there, you know, I, I don't have anything to fight with. I mean, you, you'd be like, you know, standing out in the road and here comes a tornado and you think, well, I better brace myself real good. You follow what I'm saying? 
I mean, what, what would you possibly do? Or here's a big jumbo jet 747 falling out of the sky, so I better put my hands up. I better hold this thing away. <laughs> there are some things that your efforts are so futile. <laughs> You're better off to just don't, don't even worry about it. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. It's in, invariably, you know, your muscles are not strong enough to hold that bomb. I'd say bomb that plane up. And your legs are not strong enough to withstand the, the force of the wind of, the, uh, of a tornado. Sometimes 200 miles an hour. Devastating. And, and when you are not living a life in obedience to Christ, that's, that's where you are. You're so vulnerable. What do you do? When the enemy just comes in, what do you do? Where do you go? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you detect he's coming in, you better go back and find that armor and you better put it on. I mean, <laughs> believe me, this is not just a story. This is real life. <clears throat> this is not just sermon material. This is the way it stacks up. So, first, we gird our loins with truth. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness. And our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And having all, take the shield of faith. Now, the shield of faith allows you to defend yourself against the fiery darts of the enemy now if we stop there uh, pardon me let's go on the helmet of salvation now if we stop there what do you have that you can destroy the enemy with well the only thing is that maybe you your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel peace if you could run fast enough you might be able to stay ahead of it but if you notice on the armor, see, there's just nothing to cover the backside, is there? So the armor was not built for retreat. In other words, you have to square off with your enemy. And I think squaring off with the enemy is the best thing that a person can ever do. I have said this upon numerous occasions. First thing you need to do when you come to God you need to settle in your own mind who you're going to serve. And you need to make notification to self. I'm going to discipline myself to serve God. After you've settled in your own mind, you need to make that commitment to God. Settle the matter with God. God, I'm going all the way with you. You see, a made-up mind goes a long ways. See? But a double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. And then you need to serve notice to the devil. Now, devil, I've served you these number of years, but it's over. The party's over. 
I'm no longer your friend, I'm your enemy. I'm no longer on your side. In fact, I'm against you. I do everything I possibly can to destroy you. That's what I'm going to do. And then, the fourth thing you need to do, you need to notify all of your friends and relatives and peers. I'm serving God. If your family's not in church, notify them. I'm serving God. You don't have to be nasty about it. See, what happens sometimes, <clears throat> we don't notify these people, and they, they constantly call us up and say, hey, how about going to this party? Why don't you come over here? Sometimes even family reunions where things are not quite the way they ought to be. Now, I see nothing wrong with going to a family reunion in which they are doing things that you per have personal convictions against. But there is a point in which if the, if the party gets too wild, don't stay. And you're better off not to stay as far as your witness is concerned because surprisingly, your family in the long run will honor you and respect you if you have convictions. But the longer you flop around in indecision, the more pressure they're going to put on you, and you'll find out later on they don't respect you at all. Make a stand, though, and let them get in trouble and see who they call on. Oh, yeah, it works every time. I say it works every time. They're going to call on someone who is strong. And, and the reason why, I think, because... Every one of us, we know subconsciously, now we can, we can defend anything we want to defend and we can make anything legitimate we want to make legitimate, that is in our own mind, but every time we start praying, we strengthen convictions. It comes, they go together. And so when they find someone who has strong convictions, they automatically assume the person is in contact with God. They may never hear you pray a prayer or see you pray one. But they make that assumption. If you have strong convictions, you know God. They make that assumption. Oh, he's a Christian. He toes the line. I've heard that many times from people that really didn't even know what toeing the line meant. <clears throat> but to them, because you had strong convictions, that's the assumption that they make. So if you want to be victorious, serve notice on yourself and your flesh. See, because our weapons are not fleshly. Discipline yourself. Then make that commitment to God. In other words, serve notice to God. God, I'm here to serve you, to go all the way with you. I made up my mind. I want to serve you, Lord. Now, that's not to say that you never will make a mistake. Not to say that you never will be weak. But it is to say that you made a commitment, just like you'd make a commitment to a spouse, for better or worse, for richer or for poor, through health and in sickness, until death do I part. By the help of the Lord, 
I'll go all the way. And you see, when you do that, you actually, see, when you start making these commitments, you settle certain things in your mind. I mean, they just go to church every time the doors are open. That's just a, well, that, you don't even discuss it. Prayer meeting being held, I'm going to pray. You follow what I'm saying? See, if, if, you, have to dis, if you have to discuss every time the church doors open whether you're going to go or not, you probably won't go very much. You know, when the Bible says casting down imaginations, I purposely read another translation, destroying human reasoning. That's what it's, that's what it's saying. Because you can rationalize yourself out of revival. You can rationalize. You can make yourself. I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you that if you start thinking about how tired you are, before, you, before the thought process ends, you will be much tired than you were before you started. And if you start talking about how sick you are, you'll be much sicker when your thought process ends than you were when you started. That's just the way the human mind works. Let somebody walk in and say, you feel good today? And you say, well, I feel great. Well, your color's not so good. You look a little pale. They come over and kind of feel it. I'm all right. They leave the room, and you get to thinking, well, maybe I should go look in the mirror. You look in the mirror, and you say, hmm, I wonder if I'm coming down with something. <laughs> now, this works very, very, this, this is very effective on school kids. Well, really, I used to get sick in the time the bus would run. <clears throat> I'd be well. I could talk myself into being sick and talk myself out of it. I mean, even to the point you go to the bathroom and you look pale, and your mother, your mother even agrees you look sick. And, and, and here you are, you're just about to, to vomit and you look sick and, oh, put a cold, wet washcloth on your head and get back in the bed, son, and take a little nap, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Mother, your prayers worked. I'm healed. It's amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> Mother's thinking, oh, I forgot to pray. <laughs> These moms are smart, you know. <clears throat> But when you start serving notice, you just settle certain things. I'm talking to you about how to overcome Satan. I'm talking about to you about spiritual warfare. Then you settle it with the devil and settle it with your friends. Now, if you will notice in verse 17, though, he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is an offensive weapon. And the offensive weapon is made to destroy Satan and his works. It is. It's made to destroy Satan and his works. Now, that's not the only offensive weapon that you have. If you'll notice verse 18, he, he just then says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of the saints. Now, basically what he's saying, though, he's saying that, that you know, you have the spirit, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Basically what he's saying is that the spirit of God fights our battles for us. And one way that we implement this is through prayer, through fasting, supplications, reading, knowing how to effectively use the Scripture. Did Jesus Christ use the Scripture against Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness? Did he? Sure, he said it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says that our weapons are mighty. They are mighty. Now, if I am reading the Scripture correctly, what the Bible is saying is when you consider all, all of the weapons that can be invented for fleshly uses against one another, such as Star Wars, so intriguing, blows my mind. Can't even comprehend what our scientists can do today. The Patriot missiles, the laser-guided tomahawk warheads and such. You consider, how in the world could there be a weapon greater than that? But the Bible is saying that the weapons of our warfare are mightier than any physical weapon that could be used against you. That there is such a thing as stopping a plane from falling on you if you know how to pray. You may not be able to put your hands up and maybe nobody's able to launch a, a, a warhead in time to explode one of these things in the air. but you know how to use the name of Jesus. It, it, you know, this past year, uh, we were going down County Trunk AB and the ice was on the road and uh, we were driving a little bit fast and my wife just, the, the car kind of went, the pickup truck went in kind of a tailspin and right away, you know what she did? We are right at the railroad track where you had your, your encounter with the train several years ago. Brother Manley was a teenager. He ran into all the trains in, in, in Dane County. <laughs> so, I need a whopper stopper, he says. <laughs> well, at any rate, what happened was this... Are you all ready to listen to me? I'm going to be serious with you. I'm telling you, our pickup truck goes, and so fast. And my wife, she just said, Jesus! Jesus! We went right down in the ditch and out in the farmer's field. And before the car, the pickup truck, stopped, she happened to think of the four-wheel drive. She put it in four-wheel drive, and we just, Drove around, came back out on the road, on down the road. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, I've been in several near accidents in which I was with Christian people. <laughs> I don't know. I guess this is a big fault of mine. That, that night, I never said anything. You know, I, I'm just, I don't know. I get alarmed sometimes over the fact that I'm not as alarmed as I ought to be. Yeah. You know, but <clears throat> I've been with people that, I mean, this was a life or death matter with them. And just, would you believe, I mean, when destruction, accident, it was just inevitable. It's going to happen. Here they're headed towards something. And just short of what they were to hit, they stopped. It's like the hand of God reached out and pushed them back. Oh. God had his all-seeing camera eye and says, we're going to know a tree is not going to destroy my child. Praise God. I remember when I taught series of lessons on this this subject. A little different approach this morning, but we went about three Thursday nights in a row, and I still remember this brother bringing up an article in the paper about this gentleman, this annihilist, who's going to sacrifice these dogs uh, downtown. He's going to do that. And we just got such a burden, and I said, I tell you what, let's do. We're going to send up a warhead right now. Brought it up right after church after I taught this. It was about 9.30. We're going to send up a warhead right now, loaded. It's going to explode. God's going to find the target. He's going to seek him out wherever he is. It's going to explode, and it's going to have its effect. You remember me saying that before we even did it? And we began to pray. And when we pray and worship God, we visualize by faith sending up a warhead loaded with all kinds of spiritual weapons. Now, Lord, wherever this man is, and we called his name, we want these warheads to find him, O oh God, and we want them to drop right on top of him. And we want conviction to come like never before. If, he's, if he knows one scripture in the Bible, we want the Word of God to reappear in his mind right now where he quotes that scripture. Oh God, right now, if anyone's ever testified to him or witnessed to him, we want that witness to come alive in his mind right now. If he's ever heard a preacher preach, Lord, we want to hear. We want him to hear that preacher preach again in his mind. Of course, the Humane Society and everybody was really getting pumped up about this and he was, you know, going through all of his, this was kind of a satanic type thing, you know, and, and the next day in the paper we read that this boy suddenly disappeared. Well, here's what happened. <clears throat> I'm giving you the, the, the account in the paper. This is what they said. They said <clears throat> that he got in his car and drove out of town and forgot the idea. 
They said the police came to his door the night before, and he told them, he said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. He said, all of a sudden in my room, I got to thinking, and it was a great fear came over me, something I can't explain, and said, don't you dare do this. You saw it in the paper, and this is what it said. It was, it was about 9.30 that something strange began to happen. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> oh, praise God. Let me tell you something. If you're fighting against God, you're fighting against a power that you cannot defend against. If you're resisting God, you're resisting a spirit that you cannot control. If you're running from God, you're running from a spirit that's faster than you are. I was just, I, I'm just, just amazed. I, I, I read of, of two planes that was sent up by Gaddafi. You remember that situation? And a couple of our jets were, were engaged in a dogfight. They call it a dogfight. The report was that. They launched one of these missiles. I'm not for sure what missile it was from underneath the wing of one of the planes. Roy could probably tell you. He keeps up with all this. But the, the, the fighter jet pilot said that they, this man put this MiG missile, a Russian-built missile, straight up. And what he thought he'd do, he'd go up and he'd drop it back down, head back up and drop it back. And there's no way, he thought, that this missile would get him because he thought he could outmaneuver it. But the problem is that inside of that missile, there's laser, there's heat detectors, there's a camera. And every move that the plane makes, the missile is able to make. The fighter made a mistake by not knowing how sophisticated the weapon was that was after Well, how could he have escaped? Well, probably if he'd have just ejected himself, he might have had some kind of a chance, but who knows? But the plane's going to be destroyed, he said. If it locks in, now they fire some of those when they're not locked in the way they ought to be locked. But if it's locked in, dead zero, there's no escape. You know God wants to save you. He doesn't want to destroy you. And when I, whenever I look at a person running from God, I don't look at a person running from God and God has a bomb out there. Just No. You see, his weapons are not for destruction. Basically, I see God with some kind of a great big net like a child chasing a butterfly. And God says, Now you think you can get away from me? I'm going to reach down with this big net of love and I'm going to snatch you up. That's what I'm going to do. I think we sent a warhead up and it's exploded all around this young man. All I know is his first name was David. 
I don't know. <clears throat> it seems like since the days of the Bible, a lot of Davids have gone astray. Do we have any Davids here? Oh, I'm Dave. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're such a great guy. I didn't think we had any. I, I just knew you but Dave. David, okay? Forget that. All right. <clears throat> I was just thinking of the Waco thing, you know. I think the gentleman's name was David, wasn't he? All right. No, no kin to you, gentlemen here. <clears throat> Boy, there's a lot of that in this world, though, isn't there? there? You know, there's a lot of religious kooks in the world today. A lot of religious kooks. But you see, I can see what happened. I can see the, I can see a bomb exploding, full of conviction, and man not being able to run from God. But in the final analysis, before destruction comes, I can see the love of God reach down and pick him up. God strips him of everything he has and leaves this man bare, naked, alone, ready to be saved. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I can see bombs exploding, taking houses away, cars away, jobs away. You say, would God take my job away from me? Not only would he, he probably will if you don't turn your life over to him. You may say, why? Isn't he concerned about me eating? He's more concerned about you being saved. Amos put it this way. He said, you know, you run from a lion. You, know, you could just see a, a man walking down a trail, and all of a sudden, here's a big lion. He says, oh, i got to go. i got to go. got to get out of here. He takes out down this trail, and would you believe, I mean, he's a huffing and a puffing, and he's going as fast as he can. He's thinking, I cannot run this line. I cannot run this line. And he looks up, and there's a bear. Now, he has double trouble. I mean, he has double trouble. And all of a sudden, he looks, and here's a little path going over, and there's a nice, nice cottage over there with a very secure lock and door and everything. He runs over there, runs inside, slams the door. Whew, I'm safe. And then he reaches up to rest himself against the wall. Now, this is what the prophet said. And there's a viper on the wall. And you can run and run and run. All of a sudden you think, Boy, I'm secure. God's not going to get me here. Because God is omnipresent, you're very foolish to think you can go any place that God is not. You can run from Him. When you get there, He's already there. <clears throat> Isn't that right? If you go hide and you find out He's in your hiding place. You know, I can just see someone running. Man, they run in a back cave. They get in the very back of the cave. God says, hello, I'm here. Where are you going to go? God wants to save you. I say, God wants to save you. Praise God. Would you stand with me? God wants to save you. God wants to save you. God wants to save you. Oh, hallelujah. Do you believe that God wants to save you? Would you like to start today on a new road in life? 
Would you like to recommit your life to God? Maybe you just feel that you strayed off. Not on the real fairway that goes to heaven, on one of the frontage roads. That's what can happen to some Christians. Is you get off the front on the frontage road. You know, some of those frontage roads, I'm amazed. I go down to St. Louis every now and then to headquarters, and man, I tell you, they got more frontage roads down there. You get on one of those, you think, oh, I'm just, this, this will take me down there. All of a sudden, you, the frontage road makes a turn. So where am I going? Try to get back on the freeway, and you can't get back on the freeway. You say, hey, this is not so easy. And sometimes you get off on a frontage road, and you think, oh, I'm just traveling along here with all the other people. You know, you look over on the freeway, and they're fighting the traffic and everything, and you're the only one out there, and you're just booking along there, and you think, oh, all of a sudden your road turns, and the freeway traffic keeps going straight. Now, that's the way I see people who are growing cold in God. And maybe just a little bit, a little bit, and a little. As long as you keep your eyes on church, everything's comfortable. But all of a sudden, you made a sharp right, and they're not in sight. Maybe, maybe I'm describing your spiritual condition today. But I want you to know Jesus wants to save you. We're going to give you an opportunity to come strengthen your relationship or give your heart to God. Whatever the case may be, Jesus wants to do a work for you today. Step out right now and come and surrender your life to the Lord. Kneel on either side of the pulpit here. Come on right now. Would you do that as our praise singer sings? I have decided to follow These people who are coming and kneeling and praying, would you come and pray? Some of you come and pray with them. Come on right now. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Some of you come and pray with Angie. Would you do that? Come on right now. right now. Oh, hallelujah. No.